Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's 100 acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer this is beer is a conversation and we're here to talk about all things beer This week I have with me Harry Sexton, head brewer at Matilda Bay Brewery in Victoria. It's a last name you might be familiar with, as Harry's dad is Phil Sexton, industry veteran and original founder of Matilda Bay, which lost its way a little after he left. The return of Phil to Matilda Bay in 2019 resurrected the brand and also meant a new challenge for Harry. I spoke to him about the challenges of being at the helm of a brand with so much heritage, working with family, and what he wants to do with Matilda Bay to make it his own. So welcome to the Beer is a Conversation podcast, Harry. Good morning. How are you doing, Claire? Morning, Harry. How are you? Very well, thank you. Sitting in cold, rainy Hillsville. Oh, that's right. Well, we're chilly up here in Brisbane too, but blue skies, I'm sorry to say. I don't mean to rub that in. It's fine. I'm used to it. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. So, well, bloody congratulations on your AIBA wins last week. How was that? Thank you very much. Uh, Very, very exciting to see. Um, It's, you know... A, a new brewery getting off the ground, if you can call Matilda Bay that, and um, getting some recognition for our beers is is fantastic. Yeah, always a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like I always ask people, you know, why do you enter awards? What's what do you do it for? Is it a, like does it help with marketing? Does it help with feedback? Like, why do you guys do it? Well, look, me and uh, the marketing guy James definitely have different opinions about this. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you know. Being able to say you've won gold medals or or even trophies for beers are definitely going to help sell them and and get your recognition across the the beer community. However, for me personally and my brewing team, we we love to see what the judges say. Um, Of course, of course, awards are very category based. Mm -hmm. So, so the actual merit of the beer as a as a beer uh, is only part of the question. Um, How it fits into the category is going to be it's going to be very decisive in how you go mm-hmm. but you get really good judges comments um, on all your beers so being able to see how expert tasters uh, are looking at your beer and um and certain comments they've got for them are, are definitely super useful yeah yeah and I mean I know that's something that people have um, mentioned about lots of awards is that you know they do have the limitations on um the categories you have to fit within that category based on certain criteria which is absolutely what you want to do but I guess it doesn't necessarily uh, leave a lot of room for creativity I guess. No and you know there are some categories like specialty beer or uh, well basically specialty beer where you are allowed a little bit more leeway and um, I know we definitely put one of our cherry saisons in that category and that kind of lets the beer speak for itself which is which is really exciting for the styles that aren't sort of rooted in history. 
Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of rooted in history, Harry. Uh, yes. So, yes. Matilda Bay, we obviously love it. Um, my editor, Matt, has followed you guys from the beginning. Um, but tell me a little bit about your background. Did you always want to be a brewer? Um, seeing Phil in the industry, were you like, absolutely? Or when you were younger, were you like, absolutely not? No, it was definitely absolutely. Uh, so... <laughs> You know, growing up, growing up in a house with Phil was, or Dad, I, I always get, I always get weird, weird I comments know, when I start so calling weird. him Phil, but um, yeah. I'll stick with Phil for the interview anyway. Yeah. Uh, growing up with him definitely immersed me in, in the craft, well, liquor market essentially. So, so when I was young, it was little creatures. He'd, he'd step back from Matilda Bay when I was born, mm-hmm. um, and so little creatures, of course, was was always around the house and I was trying and smelling beers from a reasonably young age. And, and then of course he started giant steps and is a bystander. So was quite heavily into the wine industry as well. And, and that was actually where I broke into, um, well, working in the industry. I, I started in wine. So from about 15 years old, I was out on the vineyards picking fruit, helping drive tractors uh, and then moving into the winery and helping helping make the wine itself. So I've, I've actually had more experience and more time in the wine industry and and really developed quite a love for that and the, the beauty behind winemaking and a link to the country where you're sourcing fruit from and, and of course, the sort of finessed palates that you can have in wine and it's a very subtle differences that you can have from region and and winemaking style and it wasn't until it wasn't until Matilda Bay and and this concept for relaunching Matilda Bay out in Hillsville um, that I really well something in my brain went actually brewing brewing is a pretty good option (laughs) and I and I may be making wine but I'm definitely drinking lots of beer so (laughs) So it was it was that opportunity to come on with Matilda Bay and and help with the project that that sort of launched me into a brewing career. Mm-hmm. In terms of like qualifications and stuff, then did you just brew alongside Phil, or how did you get that sort of experience? So coming out of high school, I I went I went straight into university and I I studied biochemistry mm-hmm. and it it wasn't brewing biochemistry it was it was full on almost medical biochem but with zero intention of being a doctor and (laughs) so went through that and with my winemaking got a very good hand on production and you know production of fermented beverage and then joining the brewery uh i kind of came in with just that so had to learn a lot of the brewing skills and the brewing theory through the ibd of course and um and with phil and with all the um really really skilled brewers that I've had alongside me either consulting with me or or when I first started um I was working for him yeah absolutely and I mean I guess having Phil as your dad probably helped a lot in gaining entrance to some industries would you agree oh of course um you know it's I, I can't I can't suggest that it's it's uh, not a little bit easier having the surname Sexton in the brewing <laughs> industry. And, and you know, you, you get people coming up to you and saying, hello, oh, I know your dad, I worked with him 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago yeah, in, yeah. in 
every sort of aspect of the industry. And, and there's, you know, there's something to be said about being able to sit down to dinner. And of course the, the conversations always end up in beer and, um, and business. So, you know, talking about the intricacies of things he was doing when, you know, he was working in Salzburg or working and doing study through Weinstefana. Um, there's, there's just so many little tidbits that you get and that just sort of builds to having quite a comprehensive knowledge of, of a whole a varied um, amount of beer and, and brewing techniques. Yeah, definitely. And it must be so strange hearing all that. I know, I know we were talking about whether you should call him Phil or Dad. Um, Matt yes. did a podcast with uh, Louise Cooper uh, and obviously mm-hmm. part of the Cooper's family. And so she yes. said exactly the same thing. She's like, it's so weird. Like, I don't know whether to call him Tim or like whether to call him Dad. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, you guys are, well, you're second gen now, um, but it must be really interesting to work with your, you weren't working with him necessarily all the way through your career, but how closely do you work with him now? Oh, very closely. Oh, yeah, super um, close. He doesn't just swan about and then you come in and do all the work. No, well, no, you know. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of that. No, we, we work really closely, but of course he's, he's, he's running the whole business. So he's definitely not on the floor with us in the brewery. Um, but when we've got new beers coming through, he, he's always the first one to duck into the cellar and ask for a taste. And, and we're definitely working very closely on re- recipe design and, and just sort of where we want the style of our brewery to go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a lovely balance between that and quite a lot of free reign for interesting side projects and bar specials and, and uh, just general tweaks to recipes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, the move from wine to beer must have been an interesting one. You know, we talk a lot in the beer industry about how we're not necessarily uh, seen as quite high-end as wine. Um, to, in terms of government support, the wine industry has received a lot of support uh, in funding and lots of other ways that the beer industry is only just getting now. How? What's that like from your perspective? Obviously, you've seen both sides of that coin. It's interesting there because what, what I've seen, you know, the big difference I see between the two industries is where the premium aspect comes from. So, so winemaking is always the vineyard. And, and the skill of a winemaker is to shepherd good fruit uh, through to being good wine. And, and there's, you know, there's a skill in being a minimalist in a wine, winery where you allow the fruit to do the talking. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a beautiful thing, and I, I really enjoy that. Whereas in brewing, I think we have a lot more on our shoulders as brewers, and, and the beer is, of course, um, made up of excellent ingredients and, and finding the best ingredients is going to get you a good beer. However, the skill of the brewer is is maybe more forefront than it is in winemaking in a, in a way where, you know, you do have to create a recipe and, and you do have to shape things in many more touch points than in winemaking. And, and when a good beer comes through, it's very rarely – going oh well that barley that barley field <laughs> produced an excellent crop last year <laughs> and the weather was perfect for great barley no it's, it's almost always the brewer so mm-hmm. and so that's that's a and I, I love that and I love I love being as responsible if not more so responsible for the quality of a beer than than what what the weather was like 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <what the> <laughs> exactly. And it, exactly. It's really interesting. And like, I think that wine's got this sort of mystique about it as well. You know, these like um, all these gorgeous wooden barrels and vineyards and stuff. And when you go to an actual like big winemaker, it's like same as brewing. It's huge, giant silver vats. Um, not yes. quite the perception necessarily that people uh, on the street would see of wine um, or expect of wine. So, um, yeah, from a sort of an industrial standpoint, um, you know, I think beer gets a little bit of flack for being too industrial or you know, perceived as even processed or something like that. And obviously there's a huge process going into it, uh, but there is with wine as well. And I think it's just maybe a repositioning of beer to point out that craft, um, to point out that uh, the crazy amount of variables that a brewer has to deal with in every single brew that they do. You know, it's it's a fine art, um, as I'm sure you well know. Um, but the, the, that you point out the uh, responsibility of it um, was really interesting as well, because obviously you'll have a brew team now. How, how, are you, how is that? What are they like? Absolutely. So when we started this project back in 2019, it was just me, and then we got a brewer who, who was running the joint... Um, and sort of gone through a whole bunch of evolutions to a team now where it's three of us, uh, myself, and I've got two assistant brewers and we're just about to restructure as well. Um, one of my brewers is moving somewhere warmer. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit of responsibility getting a team together and running a team, but I've been immensely lucky with, you know, two excellent brewers and, and the guy coming in to replace um, my brewer is also hopefully going to be excellent. And um, and yeah, it's it's fantastic to work with people who are just as passionate as I am, and just as dedicated as I am to to craft these beers. And and also these are these are people who've got experience in other aspects. So one of them was a winemaker as well. So he's great with our barrel program and just. You know, getting getting uh, different ideas and different sets of knowledge on on process really helps us sort of expand where we can go with our beers and mm-hmm. and look at them from different sets of eyes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that we've stolen um, some skill sets from the wine industry. Um, I'm here for that. Uh, <laughs> but what uh, what about when you're looking for people? Do you look specifically for a background? Do you look for qualifications? Like how would you, as a manager, I guess, um, choose staff? Yeah. So the question around qualifications, I, it's always an interesting one because an idea of what they know is, is of course, super important. However, um, you can have qualifications and no practical skill and, and that's almost as bad as the opposite, if not worse. And so typically I, I look for someone who is inspiring and someone who really looks like they have something to give and also, you know, have, have a lot to learn and, and want to learn with us in what we're doing. So, you know, is qualifications necessary? No. Is it great? Of course. I, I'm typically looking for someone who's passionate and someone who you know, has a little bit of background in in making something, um, whether it be beer or wine or spirits or or bread. You know, it, they they all have a lot of skill and and that can lead into a brewing career very easily. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, I don't know about you, but that's what I've always really admired about the brewing industry is that it brings so many people in that haven't just gone through a like a set career path. Like people have come in it from all sorts of different industries, all sorts of different backgrounds, and they bring with them what they learn, whether that is through about marketing or finance or um, the actual brewing of the beer. Um, I always think that that is one of the strengths of the brewing industry. Um, I don't know if you agree. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the one thing they all bring is a love of beer. And it's, and it's one of the, the few industries I've been around where everyone you run into just adores what they are making. And, you know, wine, sure, they, they do as well. That's, I'm, I'm not suggesting they don't, but, you, you know, you're not going to get into dentistry or, or you know, <laughs> yeah, management consultancy and have yeah. everyone, yeah, have everyone absolutely adore what they're doing, um, whereas brewing, brewing they do. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, talking to someone from Abbotsford or Cascade or Wine Nathan um, down to the smallest little craft brewery, they're all going to have something to talk about and, and they're all going to love beer. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that's what we need. Um, but speaking of, they've we've also got some uh, favourites back from Matilda Bay. So you guys have been working hard um, on bringing back some old favourites, I believe. So talk, talk me through them. Um, obviously, they're slightly different recipe from um, when Phil did them originally. Yeah, of course. So look, when we when this project came to light back in early 2019, when we were all talking together. Uh, that was that was not part of the conversation. Amazingly, we were no we were talking about our the original ale and yeah. and how we were going to make make a new beer and it was gonna it was gonna be what this whole place was about. And then of course you put a brewery in and and you start hearing, well, where's Redback? <laughs> um, but, you know, we want Redback. So so of course we ended up doing that. And mm-hmm. and being a being a brewer who was involved. Well, who, sorry, who, who wasn't involved with any of the originals, and and to be honest, was a little bit too young to be drinking them when they were being brewed, um, especially by Phil. But at least you know some of the brewers who yeah. were spearheading Matilda Bay afterwards. I had a big job ahead of myself um, to go. Well, what was Redback, and and what should Redback be today, and should it just be a should it be a cover cover band, and mm-hmm. and are we are we just bringing this back to to be a bit of a novelty or, or do we think that the bones of Redback were incredible, but we can tweak them to be more modern and to fit with what people are drinking today. So, you know, with Redback, Dog, Bolter and Alpha, they're the three that mm-hmm. we've we've done this with so far. We've tweaked them to, to sort of typically just freshen them up and, and make them a little bit, uh, cleaner and more drinkable than they were back in the day, mm-hmm. and and we've done that with some really cool brewing tricks and and different yeast strains and, and sort of natural natural ways of getting these fresher flavors. Um, Go on, Harry. What are your tricks? What, your secrets. what, what are my tricks? <laughs> um, well, Redback, you know, Redback back in the day was a big old heft, um, and of course, you know, uh, filtered Redback or. Crystal Redback was was another version of it, and we we moved away from the hefeweizen yeast um, because those massive banana and clove characters were just not not really what we thought the market was after with mm-hmm. Redback again. So we've we've taken it slightly down a farmhouse route, um, and just very very slightly. 
to give it some of those slightly funky phenolic characters that you know everyone well, well it's what makes redback redback mm-hmm. but um the strain we found it also gives us slightly citrusy characters and mandarin rind characters which which give it that sort of fresh summer character which is why we've we've changed the name from redback original to redback summer so it's it's definitely ours and and you know which one you're getting Absolutely. And I think it's really important that we do adapt and change. Uh, I know we're getting to that point in the brewing industry, in Australia even, um, where you're getting um, some veterans, and we're allowed to call them veterans now, if you're like 10, 15 yes. years plus. Um, and it's got to the point where the market now is so different from when they started, let alone when Matilda Bay started. And that was only five, like 10 years ago uh, for some of them. They're getting to the point where they're thinking, you know, there's lots of new entrants, there's lots of people doing lots of cool stuff, um, and they're they're a lot newer um, than we are. Now, obviously, Matilda Bay hasn't been through like operating consistently through that period, um, but I'd be really interested to to know um, how many what those conversations were like when you first started. Like, how do you, like you say, not just do a cover band and with the whole brand um, as well as the beers uh, and make it your own as well, Harry? Because you know this is you spearheading this and, and the beers and, and stuff as well now, and I'm sure Phil will want you to do that in the future as well. Um, so, how do you make it your own? Absolutely. So. Look, you know, cover bands, cover bands are great. I remember, <laughs> I mean, musically at least at, at, at university, they, they would play, they'd have a different band in every Wednesday. And, and the one that drew the biggest crowd uh, consistently year after year was Baba, um, the Abba <laughs> cover band. Oh, and it was, it was just the most fun. So, like, you know, they're great, but you kind of go away and you're like, ah, oh, it was funny. And you're definitely not going to buy their album. Um, <laughs> And you know, with the brewing with the brewing world, you, you're not going to go away and keep buying their beers if it's if it's just a novelty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not suggesting for a second that the Matilda Bay beers, if they were reinvented, they would be crap and they would be a novelty. But I think it's got an aspect of that. And and Matilda Bay, as a brand, has always been an innovator. Uh, you know, in the '80s, they innovated a whole category of beer called craft beer and um, mm-hmm. and they did that by taking some incredible classic European styles and, and bringing them over and brewing them uh, you know expertly so I think I think what I'm trying to do is keep that aspect of Matilda Bay alive the innovation and and looking at the incredible craft beers because they are craft beers that are coming out of Europe and the traditional styles and going, well, how do they fit in today's market and how, how are we going to, how are we going to make them our own and make them something that people, people really want to drink and, and find the ones that people aren't drinking. So, you know, combining that aspect of Matilda Bay with my own wine background and trying to come up with some, some new styles that take heritage from, from Europe really. So I think, you know, the best example of what we're doing now is our cherry saison where we've found an incredible French strain, which is fully diastatic. So it's, it's an aggressive strain that scares the shit out of me at night when <laughs> I don't know, I don't <laughs> like know what's happening in the brewery. Well, you know, you just, it's, it's always a risk of course, but, mm-hmm. but it's the reward is well and truly worth it because it just creates this incredibly subtle, uh, 
incredibly fine palette where it allows fruit to really shine through. And the, the most recent batch we've done is with Victorian Morello sour cherries, where I work with the farmer to get them harvested and get them processed in time. And, and we're now brewing with them. And it's just creating this insane beer that is bone dry, zero Plato, uh, yet has incredible sort of luscious mouthfeel through the natural yeast glycerols and mm-hmm. and of course this sort of sweetness which is not sweetness it's a fruit sweetness from these sour cherries and it's just really really cool mm-hmm. and and we're playing with barrels with this saison and everything so i think it's taking taking beer to a to a different place where we're playing with um the more fine characters that i learned in wine and and sort of subtleties in beer that are now expressing well, location, really. So we can talk about where the farms are and what the years were like and what the cherries were like. And we can do that with multiple different fruits. And I, I think that's, that's got some legs to, to really explore with um, and see where we can take beers like this. And I think that's, that's the really interesting thing that we'll be doing at Matilda Bay where it's different and it's it's new and it's hopefully innovative <laughs> and, <laughs> and hopefully people like to drink it at the end of the day. That's that's going to be the, the big test. Yeah. Um, but being able to do that alongside the classics and the classics done slightly differently and, and of course, taking learnings from the new styles and incorporating them into the old, I think, will be what we're up to for the next couple of years. Absolutely. And I really love the um, focus on local. I know um, it's sort of been a big topic of conversation over the past couple of years in terms of provenance and not only for um, the brewers and their creativity of brewers, but also from a consumer perspective. Have you noticed that as well, that uh, um, you know consumers are looking at locality and provenance a bit more than they ever had? Or, I mean, being in wine, I guess that's always been the case. It's definitely always been the case in the Valley. Um, I, I grew up here. I've, I've basically lived here since 97, I think. Um, and being a local and, and looking at the land around you has always been really important here. Getting getting the transition of that sort of mentality from wine to beer is trickier, I feel, because brewing, at least in the last sort of, 20 years I feel hasn't hasn't been as rooted in its home as of course in the past when it was well, where do you get your water from what spring have you plonked your brewery down on <laughs> um but we're definitely trying to shout that story so uh we're, we're doing Aussie wheat beers so you know locating our home in Australia and and then of course the cherry stays on getting it getting it closer to home again is is a story that we're proud of and um you know one little marketing thing i guess i can say is that the cherry saison label if you ever get to see it is is actually die cut in a in a in the shadow of um the blue mountain range that we're sitting on so Mm -hmm. if you if you get up on the roof of matilda bay and look east i think you'll actually be able to hold the saison bottle and trace the mountains on it (laughs) um so cool and and it's so little little things like that that we like to sort of shout that we're in the Yarra Valley and mm-hmm. and being in a food bowl and you know the, one of the larger fruit um, growing areas of, of 
Victoria at least, we've got so many local things to play with. Mm -hmm. Hi everyone, this is Matt. We're breaking into this podcast for a word from our sponsor, as we like to say. But not just any sponsor, as you know at Brews News, we're very selective who we work with. And this is a special partnership with Lark Whiskey, which is soon to release the fifth incarnation of its collaboration with Wolf of the Willows Brewery. In this annual exchange of ideas and whiskey barrels between Lark and Wolf, Lark hand-selects whiskey casks and sends them to the Victorian-based brewery, who fills them with Imperial Johnny Smoke Porter. Before it is decanted, and the now beer-infused casks are filled with single malt whiskey. Hang around at the end of this podcast to hear my chat with Chris Thompson, master distiller at Lark, and how he discusses the collaboration. But here's a bit of a teaser that actually comes from my preliminary chat with Chris, who gives me some surprising insights when I ask him what beer should do to become a little bit more like whiskey in the consumer's mind. Beer shouldn't try and be like whiskey. Whiskey should try and be like beer. The rituals involved with beer are integrated into society. They're not pretentious and they add so much. At Lark, we are trying to be more like beer, more democratic, more open and more welcoming to to new drinkers. Traditionally, that's not what whiskey's been. Beer shouldn't be trying to be a more serious drink. It should be a fun but complex and continue to add to society. Now, that definitely was not the answer I was expecting. And if you enjoyed that, please hang around at the end of this podcast to hear more about Chris's approach to whiskey in this bonus chat. It's a really fascinating insight into the partnership between beer and whiskey. You make such an important point as well, though, that like people, you try and do what you can in terms of um, using local produce. Uh, but we, it's quite tricky, I imagine, to do an all Aussie beer. Like it's it's possible it's, and people have done it. Um, but getting everything from Australia is pretty hard work, I'd say. Yeah, of course. And if you're being really strict about it, um, getting Australian yeast is going to be tricky. Finding a, a native a native strain of yeast that is going to be alcoholic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually haven't even looked into that yet. That's a good point. I, yeah. should, <laughs> I, I should start digging. I'm sure they exist. I'm sure they do. And it's a bit of an odd one as well because obviously people do sort of wild yeast beers and um, open fermentation stuff. I know um, I think Van Diemen do it in Tasmania, for instance. But mm-hmm. it's also like we've imported so much like crap from Europe, <laughs> just everybody and everything. And there's so many invasive species and things like that. You know, could you guarantee that it's a hundred percent Aussie? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you could. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it depends how far you want to go back, I guess. Uh, but yeah, an interesting one and a difficult one for the brewing industry as well. And I think it's a, not just about getting that necessarily all the local ingredients. Um, it's about being part of your local community as a brewery, as a brew pub, um, Um, But that must be hard when you go bigger. So obviously everybody knows Matilda Bay. Um, You guys, what are your plans in terms of um, being national? And how do you keep that sort of local angle while also being such a well-known brand nationally? Well, I mean, uh, national, sorry, is going to be every brewery's goal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you, you, <laughs> breweries, breweries want to brew beer and breweries want to brew more. And, and once you've filled your state, you, you're going to look for other ones. So 
Matilda Bay, and even at the moment, we're, we're not national, but we kind of have two homes. Um, of course, the Yarra Valley is where we're brewing and, and where all of our beers coming from. However, WA has massive, massive ties to Matilda Bay. And, and we are finding that we've got way more recognition and, and way more people talking about Matilda Bay coming back in WA than we do in Victoria. Wow. So that's kind of what we're doing at the moment. We're, we're getting, getting relationships with pubs over in WA as well as Victoria and we're selling in dams in both states. So I think that's where we're going to start. We're going to, we're going to re, well, reclaim. Reclaim sounds a bit too aggressive. We're going, to, <laughs> we're going to start playing around in both of our homes um, and, and see how that goes. And then, of course, going national is is the next step from there Mm -hmm. and what beer it'll be with i'm not quite sure in the bottom of my heart i hope it's redback because it's it is an absolutely cracking beer um i'm sure my marketing team will sort of hate me for saying that (laughs) because the original the original ale is is out there and that's what it's meant to be doing um but you know i'm not marketing i I just like the beer Uh, (laughs) you're allowed to yeah you're the brewer you can say what you like um and and where the beer is going to come from, uh, you know, it, it'll change. We've we've got a pretty big site here where we're brewing lots of beer at the moment, and we're actually sharing the site with the Giant Steps Winery. So they've got oh, they've cool. probably got two thirds of it at the moment, and they're building a winery. So when they move, we've got lots more space for can wines and tanks and bigger brew houses and mm-hmm. you know any toy I can beg for. Um, <laughs> And hopefully we can turn this place into an absolute machine of pumping out excellent beer and and pumping out some really cool styles because we've got barrel holes set up already and they're just waiting for beer. I think, you know, they're whispering to me that they want beer more than wine. But <laughs> excellent. like to hear that. Winemakers, the winemakers don't, don't agree. <laughs> it's whoever gets there first, Harry. That's what I think. Whoever manages yeah, to fill no. it first. <laughs> they, they already have. Uh, they oh, beat crap. <laughs> They're going to leave. Oh, um, okay, we'll kick them out. <laughs> I, I think that's 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 at least the, the the business plan is to is to really set up in WA again and and whether or not there'll be a real home over there, I'm not sure yet. I, I hope so. Um, and and then of course try to make the Yarra Valley ours and and really sort of ingrain ourselves with the locals and you know, join up with more of the footy clubs and more of the markets and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, and you just mentioned uh, your toys. Uh, I know a brewer mm-hmm. loves their toys. Um, so tell me a bit about your site then, because obviously you sort of got to be in there from the ground up, didn't you? Um, it's all shiny and new still, um, even though it's been well, it's been a couple of years now, I guess. Um, but I know I spoke to James Aris, uh, marketing manager at Matilda Bay, with respect to becoming um, carbon neutral and things like that. So t- just talk me through, talk me through the brewery, um, how you developed it, what you really wanted in it, um, how you got it to that stage and, and what sort of the priorities were when you were building it. Yeah, absolutely. So... We started building in 2019 and and there were a couple things that we were really trying to do. One of which was make it very manual. Um, there's been a big shift in the industry to going fully automatic because it's hard to find brewers and mm-hmm. you get better repeatability if you can just set up a program and press go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
you know, myself and Phil both believe that if you have a skilled brewer running a brew house, you're going to get a better beer. Um, so the brew house we put in, American system, 20 hectolitres, is completely manual apart from a couple temperature oh, wow. things. Um, so we have we have a brewer strapped to that um, all day, every day when we're brewing, and and that was that was really important to it. The other things was, you know, we set it up to be beautiful as well. It's it's right in the middle of our pub, so we we needed it to look good, and and it does, if I can say so myself. <laughs> it looks fantastic, and and so having it on show, um, and and all the all the sort of behind the scenes aspects of a brewery, the the mill room, the the boiler room, are all on show, which is really really lovely. Um, last thing was we set it up with the ability to use spring water from the upper Yarra Valley. So, oh, wow. so we have uh, 40,000 litres of water tank, um, which can pump directly to our liquor tanks. So we can run off spring water and, and for our original ale, we, we still do that. So we tank a water down from the upper valley and, um, and brew with it, which is unbelievably soft and unbelievably pure, wow. um, really sort of leading itself to a great beer. Um, and sustainability, of course. So, I mean, the, the biggest and the, the one that you can see on photos at least is our solar array. Uh, when we built the place, we took over two of the four roofs and completely filled them with solar panels, which is basically producing uh, be nearly 80% of what we're using in the brewery, um, which is a great step towards towards being at least site carbon neutral. And then of course we, we have to go out and find um, green energy on the grid, et cetera, for, for the rest of it. Um, and so that that's the big major one, but of course working with actually Phil who owns <laughs> some head of cattle. So he gets all the spent grain and, and theoretically oh, one day they'll, they'll go back to the kitchen. Um, oh, if, that's if, the kind of loop I if, like. <laughs> exactly. Well, if the cows are unlucky, but if we're lucky. Um, <laughs> and so, we, you know, all of our spent grain goes around in a loop to the, to the site, um, working on water-saving methods, of course, because breweries are thirsty. And, um, and the power is sorted. So we are just slowly, slowly ticking off the boxes to getting the site to be carbon neutral, which is really, really exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah, because was I mean we've seen lots of brewers um, across the industry sort of bringing in initiatives and projects um, to deal with certain aspects of the brewery, um, whether it be sort of supply chain stuff or what what you do with recycling or wastewater or CO two or whatever. Why do you think that's so important to brewers now? Is it just because there is a general move at like across all industries towards being more sustainable, or is it because I think we're and I, this is just totally me editorialising, but, you know, we're kind of aware that we're a really resource-heavy industry and this is sort of a way that we can counteract that maybe. Oh, I think it's I think it's definitely the latter. And I also think it's the type of people that get into the brewing industry. So historically, breweries used so much resource, whether that be CO2, which you know, mostly comes from the oil industry, mm-hmm. Um or grain, which is resource intensive to just the water that you use in a brewery. Right. Um, I think the brewers have started to realize that it's not, it's, 
it's not going to last forever and it's and it's not going to be it's not going to be sustainable so we're kind of we're kind of realizing that we are we are the problem and and we need we need to be the solution <laughs> um and then and then of course it's the people who get into brewing and and i think most people who get into brewing are super conscious of of each other and and the environment and sort of socially responsible as well mm. and and well at least the you know the people who've been in it for the last 30 years maybe not hundreds of years ago but nowadays we're all kind of realizing that we're in it together and and if we don't do something then it's uh it's not going to keep going Absolutely. And I think it's a really important point. And I think, um, I don't know if you managed to have a look yet, but the IBA have done uh, their 10-year roadmap and ESG was one of those things that they wanted to focus on from definitely from an independent side of things. Um, you probably heard uh, Phil and my editor, Matt Kierkegaard, having a chat about um, craft and independence they, I think they spoke last year after Stone and Wood got sold uh, as well. So, you know, really interesting um, takes from that. But, you know, you and I, we're sort of coming in it a little bit later in the program than uh, Matt and Phil have. No, no, casting no versions there, Matt and Phil. Um, what do you think about the concept of craft? Is it just a marketing term? Um, what, what do you think about it? Is it, is it real? Do we care about craft? Do we care about independence? How do they? How are they linked, if at all? Because obviously you guys are doing some amazing work, um, crafting beers. You aren't independent, so does it matter? Yeah. So, I mean, they, they are now becoming two completely separate points: um, craft and independence. I think, and and I think in the future there will be probably another term on top of craft where we're talking about process versus the mm. final beer or, or I'm not quite sure how we would, we would phrase it or term it or decide how we, how we <laughs> determine which category you sit in, but <laughs> is independence or can you be craft if you're not independent? I mean, yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I, I think the beers we're doing here are, are a good example. And, you know, the other CUB craft breweries are, are definitely crafty. Their beers are excellent. And, and same same goes for Lion, of course. Yeah. You know, uh, is independence important? I think so. I, I think independent breweries are unbelievably important, and and also I, I have undying respect for the guys that do it because they're up against a lot, a lot, <laughs> and they're up against a huge amount of competition. Um, and you know, so are we, but we've got we've got a bigger business sort of behind it so mm -hmm. you know i won't go into that too much but craft is it a is it a term that means anything anymore i i think so um i think people are really and the brewers in the craft industry are sort of reassessing what that means and and sort of looking at how they're brewing and and the more sort of technical older styles that are highly skill intensive and they're doing that and they're doing it really well. And I think you'd, you'd be pretty naive to say they're not doing craft if it's a double IPA or something, because mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot more into it and there's a lot more to the process than just throwing hops in it, yeah. in an ale. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I, you know, just hearing you talk about, um, you know, the brewers and especially the independent ones, you know, they, they do it tough. Um, would you ever set up on your own, Harry? 
No, you, no, you just uh, oh. started at Matilda yeah. Bay. Would you ever go, see you later, Phil? I'm off to do my own thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course <laughs> I would. Um, He'd love it, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh, no, he would. Yeah, he would go, good luck to you. Um, <laughs> he'd probably go, oh, it's going to be too hard. But uh. <laughs> Yeah, please enjoy. Um, it was all right when yeah, there was exactly. no craft breweries when I started, but now you've got 500 to deal with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yes, I would. Would I do it next year? Probably not. Um, I think there's a lot of unfinished business with Matilda Bay and there's, mm-hmm. there's lots to learn and lots to, you know, lots to do here. Um, would I set up my own? Yeah, it would be, it would be very fun. And, and I've got lots of friends who want to do it together. And I think, I think there's still more to explore in the industry. I, you know, we're definitely saturated, but, um, I think there's still places to play and things to do and, and, as competitive as the industry is, everyone in it is super welcoming and very collaborative. And I've, I've found that with Matilda Bay. And I think even the, the small independent craft guys probably see more of it um, because there's there's never really an us and them with the with the little craft guys. And we saw that at Gabs on the weekend. Everyone just wants to hang out and try beers and chat and <laughs> talk about how they do it. Yeah. Um, so I think there's... I think there's so much to, so much to give and so much to learn yeah. if I was to go out on my own. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think that's one of the really interesting, sort of observations I've sort of made of the industry as well, having come into it only a few years ago. Really, um, is that it doesn't matter how with size or whether you're next door to each other or whether you're across the country, different state. Everyone does seem to just love sharing, and like if you're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. Um, whether it be a technique or something mechanical or, you know, what to do with the brew pub or, like, the hospitality side of things, lo- people just call each other up or, like, call in and say, oh, wh- what are you guys doing about this? Like, are we-? And everyone seems so open about it. And in any other industry I've been in, it's never been like that. It's been very secretive and competitive and there's no like sharing of that knowledge if you can possibly help it and all that kind of stuff so I mean obviously you've seen that side of things as well but what about it in contrast to the wine industry is the wine industry the same yes yeah ah, they are cool. um, I, like that. I know I know there's no hot goss there um oh, <laughs> oh no I didn't expect it I just thought I wonder if they're the same <laughs> um no the wine the wine industry is fantastic and mm-hmm. and you know they they do they do all the collaborative things just in slightly different ways where, you know, there's no collab wines um, or there's at least very few that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for example, out of, well, Matilda Bay actually hosts the Yarra Valley's pre-vintage party. So, you know, all the winemakers from all the wineries in the Valley come out and they all bring wine and don't buy enough beer and sort of <laughs> hang out and, hang out and chat and talk about wine and try wines together and try each other's wines. Yeah. It's, it's really friendly. And, and that, that is pretty representative of yeah. the industry. I love that. That's like neutral territory for everyone as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Come to the pub. Yeah, that's <laughs> Drink <it>. some wine. <laughs> brilliant that's so cool um now one thing I, I'm gonna have to uh, let you go shortly um I've already kept you for far too long enough um and I was thinking about this now this is um one of your first potentially like podcasts and you're not on it is yeah there we go there we go I wasn't sure I didn't want to completely go out there with it but you know I think that's one of the things I see is that um you know there are usually faces of the business you know what I mean like they're the they're the front of it. Um, 
sometimes it's the brewer if they're especially if they're the owner as well um they're in the spotlight a fair bit what how how are you finding that I mean obviously this is your only first podcast but you've done interviews and stuff I imagine before I know I've spoken to you before Harry um so how you how would you find that have you ever fancied being you know the the front of it and the face of it and I think I would freak out I'm not gonna lie I don't know if I'd be into it um that's why I make Matt do everything um but what do you think about being the famed brewer of Matilda Bay yes. um, <laughs> I I'm, it's it's an interesting one because I I've never looked for that and and I it was never never any part of it I've always been sort of behind the scenes and all I'm interested in is making beer but of course working with Phil has become part of the story and I've kind of just had to go with it and <laughs> whether or not whether or not I like it or, or not it's um it's part of what's going to happen with Matilda Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I try. I try not to think about it. To be honest. <laughs> well, I think there's always a way of like making it your own as well. Like you don't have to be, you know, out there kissing babies and stuff. Like you can do it in your own way and <laughs> the way that com- makes you comfortable. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you've sort of been forced into it as well because um, I know the feeling. <laughs> um, yeah. We we enjoy what we do, um, and then sort of being the face of it or occasionally is is a little bit scary. But I hope we do it all right, Harry. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And I'm sure. It. I'm sure you're like me, where it's it's you know we we may be the ones that have to talk, but there's a whole team of people behind us that are just as worthy and um, and also just you know, contributing just as much to, to what we're doing here. Absolutely. Amen to that. Um, I saw um, a post talking about your rejected ales, um, which I thought yes. was really cool because that's won some awards recently as well. So talk me through the rejected ales because that's such an interesting one. And I always think, you know, what happens to all these brews? They just get tipped down the drain and like if some stuff goes wrong or you, it's not perfect and, you know, what happens to them? Does everyone just forget about them? Um, and then this popped up and I was like, this is really interesting. So yeah, talk, talk me through that. And I mean, I imagine there's such a process you go through with new product development and and like you say when you were reinventing those classics like Redback um what inspired you to do Rejected Ales? Yeah absolutely so I mean going back the the original ale was that that beer that we had thought would be Matilda Bay and and that was that was the whole point of the business and the whole point of the brewery so it was the first beer we started brewing here when we built the brewery and Mm -hmm. and of course we were doing two things and two quite tricky things, a setting up a brand new brewery with brand new equipment with brand new brewers and and trying to find the happy spot and how we were going to run it. So of course that required lots of trials and and brewing and fermenting and going oh, this is a bit crap, tipping it out. Um, brewing, fermenting, going again. Harry, I imagine um, your bit crap was probably someone else's oh spot. On. <laughs> well yeah, okay. Okay. Um, well that that will we'll get to that bit. Yeah. And um and then of course the other bit was that we were trying to brew a beer that was a you know, traditional English summer beer, English pale, little bit of Australian pale thrown in there too. So it's 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 not just a it's not just a pale ale. It's um it's a really complex, subtle, um, malt driven, quite a big, luscious beer, and and based in in history and in, in the English industry where they've got a lot of practice. So it's not an easy beer to replicate. So all of those things together 
made it that we were doing a lot of brews to get this beer right. And, you know, one would come through and it would be pretty good and we'd all look at it and go, yeah, but what about this little this little edge or this little hole that the, the palate or the nose has got? How can we fix that? And and we we looked at it and we went back once we sort of set the recipe in stone, which was probably a year and a half after we started brewing, and we'd done we'd done something like 27 beers and, and that was the number we used for the, the campaign. So <laughs> working, working with James, we decided that actually that's a pretty cool story to tell. Um, it's, it's not really a story of rejection and, and then that's it. It was a story of perfectionism and, and trying to get to where we wanted to be with the, you know, standards of Phil, well, he was the name of it and, and me, of course, so we came back and went, well, what what can we do to, to showcase this? And the, the answer was to go back and brew some of them and look at the old recipes and and put it together and, you know, knowingly that it had a couple holes but that the beer was still good mm-hmm. and then package it and, and market it. So the campaign was that we had these 27 rejected brews and, and we packed them and would send them out and you could look at them next to the final brew of the owl and see, see the journey we went on essentially mm-hmm. and see where we went wrong and how we went wrong. And there were some pretty funny stories about how that was all discovered on, on the sides of the cans mm-hmm. and then, and then where we got to and, and what, what that process could lead to, Yeah, which is a, if I may, gold winning. Uh, <laughs> gold oh yeah, winning keep talking. James is yeah. gonna love you. He's gonna be like, yes, go yeah. on, Harry. <laughs> exactly. Yes. No, I yeah. thought I totally with you. I thought it was such a fascinating insight into the process and and just like a an indicator of how open the industry is about you know this is what it looks like to make beer and it ain't easy. It doesn't come out perfect every time, um, but we try and we want it to be perfect. Um, so yeah, no, that was wonderful, and I expect huge things for you now Harry um, I want some more thank gold you. thank you very much um, <laughs> uh, but no thank you so much for coming on the beer is a conversation podcast Harry Sexton um, lovely to have you and hopefully not the last time no thank you so much for having me Claire Crime Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Crime Malt at www.crymalt.com.